Gracious Father in heaven, in countless ways we have transgressed against you. But you have been merciful to us and have forgiven the guilt of our sin. Surround us with your unfailing love that we may rejoice in your great goodness now and forever. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 32, written by David Amaskil. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of our Lord. David who had 14 wives already, looks out from the roof of his palace and looks across the city, and he sees a very attractive woman bathing. He thinks to himself, hubba hubba. Uriah the Hittite was married to this woman. Uriah must have been a convert to serve in the army. A Gentile convert. David abuses his position and sends for Bathsheba. He has intercourse with her. Then he gets the message, I'm pregnant. He sends for Uriah from the battlefield and tries to inadvertently get him to go stay the night in his bed, hoping they'll do what married couples do, and he'll think the child is his. But Uriah, man of honor, says, I got men sleeping out on the field. How can I enjoy such luxury? So when he refuses, David puts the message in Uriah's hand to deliver to his general Joab, saying, press against the wall of the Ammonites, tell everybody else to pull back, don't tell Uriah. Sure enough, he gets the message Uriah has been killed. Doesn't seem like David's a murderer, right? This is a casualty of war. And then it looks like he's done an honorable thing when he brings Bathsheba into his house and makes her his own wife and is going to raise this child as his own. Looks like he's gotten away with murder, literally. Oh yeah, and adultery. was our Old Testament lesson. God sends Nathan the prophet to call him to, to repentance. And it's through that he says this psalm is a maskil. It was a song meant to teach and instruct. And when you know the background of David's sin, his repentance and forgiveness, we can teach, be taught and instruct to see that God has forgiven you through applying it from knowing what we know of David. So David begins with wonderful relief, with pure gospel. If we translate the Hebrew, it says... Oh, the states of blessedness for the man whose rebellion has been permanently taken away and whose sin has been permanently covered. Oh, the states of blessedness for the man whom the Lord does not count the twisting of God's will. Several words used here for sin, all very picturesque. Rebellion. 
We often don't realize that. We don't want to think about it. But when we sin against God, we're rebelling against Him. Lord, you ask too much. You're unfair. This isn't right. This isn't just. If you don't like it, you shouldn't have allowed me to be this way. Every time we sin, we are rebelling against God. The next word he uses for sin is a picture of target practice. You're, it's a bullseye or it's nothing. God says you have to hit that bullseye of holiness. Not come close, not have admirable intentions. You have to hit it. And you and I don't. Even as believers, we miss it. And the last word he uses, maybe would be best translated in English as pervert. But a pervert is somebody just that we think of only with sexual sins. They take God's law and they twist it to serve their purposes. And oh, had David done that. He knew God said thou shalt not murder. But he just twisted. If I use the Ammonites and it's battle, then it's somebody else who's killed him, not me. And David thought he would be innocent, right? We take God's will and we twist it to serve our purposes. Through the Hebrew tense here, David makes it clear that there is a state, an ongoing condition of being blessed in knowing these are permanently gone. How can that be? Well, you know the answer. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ who suffered the punishment for our sins and died and rose victorious is our receipt. Do you realize what a state of bliss of blessedness you have because you can be confident that your sins are forgiven? We sin daily and we sin much. How nice it is to know they're removed. The last word he'd used for sin, he says, the Lord does not count his twisting of our will. The Hebrew verb for counting up, that's keeping a ledger. That's like an accountant going through all your income for taxes, right? See, when I was a young man, I had the wrong picture of Judgment Day. I thought Judgment Day was going to be thousands and thousands of years because I thought I would stand before God and He would open up this book and He would start at the day I was born and start listing all my sins until the day I died. Uh, man, this is going to take a long time and this is going to really be miserable. But you know what? God opens up your book and all He sees is the blood of Christ. No sins, only blood. Blood of the Lamb. Oh, you must have believed in my son. Right into heaven you go. Of course God knew that. He doesn't count them against us. In fact, he takes our sins, our rebellions away. Completely removes them. Forgets them. They're gone. When God tells you your sin is forgiven, gone. Washed away in the tidal wave of the blood of the Lamb. Permanently covers them. And there's a beautiful picture in that wording. Permanently covers them with what? With Christ's righteousness. So that when God looks at you, He sees Christ's perfect obedience and holiness. Your sins are covered. That's what He sees when He looks at you. And when He looks at Christ, He sees your sins are paid for. They've been permanently removed. So there's no ledger of your sin to count against you. And that is a comfort to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, because this world is full of its crosses. We don't have to say, oh, why is God doing this to me? We don't have to sit back when we catch a cold or something and think it's because God is directly picking on us. And we know when we face that day of judgment, we know that God is going to see the blood of the Lamb. This world has its crosses, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we struggle every day with our sin. We thank the Lord for the victories, but we fail daily. And so we thank the Lord in knowing our sins are permanently removed, covered. The ledger book is erased with the blood of the Lamb. God has forgiven your sins. See the blessedness of your condition. 
knowing that you dwell in the grace of the Lord. David continues. You see, it had been nearly a full year after Uriah was murdered before God sent Nathan. David had tried to cover his sin. In fact, in the last part of verse 2, he says, And there's no deceit in his spirit. David lied. He lied to himself. If I have the Ammonites kill this man in war, then it won't be my fault. That's how our sinful nature works. We lie to ourselves. This isn't a sin or this isn't fair. It's so small we won't notice it. And then once we do it, oh, the guilt comes in. But what's even worse is the person who lies to themselves and refuses to see it's a sin. And there's thousands of ways we do it. David says, you're blessed when there's no deceit. Because when we know we have forgiveness, we know we can confess and know it will be forgiven. When we're deceiving ourselves that we're not going to confess our sins. And so he says in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wore out in my groaning all day. For day and night your hand continued being heavy upon me. My fluids were drained with the heat of the summer. Selah. Here he ends with that uh, Hebrew selah. It really means stop and chew on that. It may have meant that the band was to play an interlude so you could digest everything he said. His guilt made him sick. And yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, this happens. People get sick with worrying, they get ulcers. People get sick with guilt and they develop strange diseases that the doctors cannot diagnose. When I took intro to psychology at the University of Wyoming, the textbook case was of a child who was so busy scrubbing himself every day with soap, he'd even scrub his eyes with his washcloth. His skin was drying out. It was creating medical conditions. They took him to a psychologist. He did something dirty with another little boy. They touched parts they shouldn't have. And he was trying to make himself clean. The textbook made the point, this is what guilt can do. And I thought to myself, the point the textbook didn't make, how sad that his psychologist did not know the one thing this child needed. He'd been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. He needed to trust in the Lord's forgiveness. Wow. Yes, our guilt can show itself even in medical conditions. We know how we can get to feeling miserable. And David uses that. My fluids were drained with the heat of the summer. How terrible he felt. I've often said I preserve the word punishment for what Christ endured. The punishment for sin is hell. And Christ endured punishment on the cross for us. But God does discipline us. I know that seems subtle. I try not to use the word punishment there. Because God will discipline us so that we don't commit the same sin. The wages of sin is hell. But he'll discipline us. He'll let us undergo this so that we will repent. He'll let us suffer the consequences of our sin. Not because he hates us and is getting even. But so that we learn to struggle against that sin and not do it again. So David says he learned his lesson. Nathan had come and with that story of the poor man with a lamb, you know, that was that was Uriah who God had brought to the faith. And David, the rich man in the Lord, the king who would write Psalms through whom the Savior would be born. He killed him. David learned his lesson. Verse five, he gives the principle now for his life. He says, I make my sin known to you and I do not cover up my twisting of your will. I said, I will confess my rebellions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. Selah. Stop. Chew on that. Think this over. We think we need to hide our sins from God. We think we need to cover them up. We can't do it. We lie to ourselves. 
But how wonderful it is to know we can come to the cross of our Lord and say, Lord, here are all my wretched, filthy, miserable sins. And know the Lord takes them and washes them away. The Lord covers them up. The Lord removes them. We can't do it of ourselves. And so the believer has learned, I happily confess my sins to you because I look forward to hearing you say, Oh, my dear child, I removed your sin. Chew on that. Confess your sins and your burdens will disappear. David didn't feel sick anymore. He didn't feel his bones were being crushed. And so he says in verse 6, On account of this, all those who are in your covenant of love pray to you at the time of finding. God's covenant of love is his grace. He promises to love us. He loves us even though we're sinners. He brings us to faith so that we trust in him, so that we do confess our sins, so that we do trust they've been removed. It's kind of interesting. First, God brings you into his covenant. Then you trust in the covenant. And then you confess your sins. You pray to him at the time of finding. How often has it happened in your own life where you reflect back to something happened 10 years ago and suddenly you realize, oh, I'd sinned and the guilt starts to settle in. Now you're at the time of finding. So you pray to the Lord. Lord, I confess my sin to you. Help me trust in you for forgiveness. If I need to make right something with my neighbor, give me the strength to do it. Give me a clean conscience again. We confess through prayer. So he says, surely when there is a flood of great waters, they will not touch him. Don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. A person can embrace a sin and love it more than God. They can embrace a sin so much that they drive the Holy Spirit out of their heart. The waters start rising. God has given us a life preserver. Guilt. Guilt actually when untouched, when the promise of the Lamb is not held before that guilt, guilt can make us fall from the faith and we can worry. What? What if I fall into a sin? What if I embrace a sin so much? What if I despair like Judas, who unlike Peter did not trust in the Lord's forgiveness, but hung himself? Here God gives you a gracious promise. Surely when there is a flood of great waters, they will not touch him. I've given you a life preserver. Brothers and sisters in Christ, David was losing his faith if he had not lost it over that year trying to cover it up. It was both God's law through Nathan, but it was God's grace because God worked to bring David back to faith and to confess his sin. God is your life preserver. The Holy Spirit draws you to the word. And so David can wonderfully say, you are a hiding place for me from distress. You continually watch over me. You continually surround me with ringing cries of deliverance. Selah, chew on that. When I figure out my sins, I confess them to you. I'm ashamed of them, but I'm happy to know that you keep me afloat, that you remove them from me. And when I worry, what if I let them go down? I have this confidence that you keep me in your hands. God has forgiven your sins. See the blessedness of your condition. Confess your sins and your burdens will disappear. Trust the Lord has you. Trust that he forgives you. So David then says in verse 8, I will give to you comprehension. This is actually God talking to you through David. I will give to you comprehension. I will instruct you in the way in which you should walk. I will advise you with my eye upon you. A beautiful picture here of how God lets us work in this life. A father decides it's time to teach his son how to mow the lawn. He doesn't crank the lawnmower and walk away, come back later and wonder why the kid sawed his foot off, right? He keeps his eye on the kid the first time, shows him how to do it, how to hit the grass, how to be safe. 
God doesn't just throw us out into the deep end of the pool and say swim. He keeps his eye on us. David sunk. God sent Nathan to pull him back up again. David learned something and God is instructing us, instructs us through his word with his eye upon us. David says in verse 9, or God says to you, do not be like a horse or like a mule without understanding, with bridle and halter, namely its harness in order to curb its behavior. Without them, it will not draw near to you. See, David was not drawing near to God. A full year had passed. God sent the prophet Nathan. David said, don't be stubborn as a mule. Come to the Lord. Oh, but we prefer to be stubborn as a mule. As a pastor, it's been frustrating at times the way somebody gets stuck in a sin and I have to hunt them down. And it is amazing the obstacles they will put in the way. It's frustrating when you ring a doorbell and you hear them roaming around and hiding inside their house. It's sad when parents will cover for their children and not give numbers. Parents who should be helping lead their child to repentance themselves will become the obstacle because in a sinful way they want to protect their child. People come. Come to the pastor for counseling. And you say, you know, you apply the word of God and you tell them, the problem is here is we've put the cast on it with the word, but let's edify it. Let's build it up. It's not every Sunday is Bible study going to pertain to this. But why don't you come to Bible study and be edified against this so that God will strengthen you through his word. Be more in the word. And they don't. And then they wonder why the problems come back. David says, don't be stubborn like a mule. Confess your sins to the Lord. Come into the word where the Holy Spirit is going to guide you because this world is bent on making you embrace your sin and fall from the Lord. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Doesn't it seem the opposite? I look at the wicked. Look at Joseph Stalin, for example, just to randomly pick somebody. The guy gets to be head over an entire country. Through communism, he grows rich. He's persecuting believers. But hey, he seems to be getting away with it, doesn't he? Seems to have a better life than you and I do according to the world's ways. Doesn't it seem that the wicked have it great? But I've been at the funerals of unbelievers. Those who mourn them. They get up and they'll talk about how great the person was and other people scratch their head afterwards and say, are we talking about the same guy? You make him sound like he's holier than the Lord himself. What do they have to cling to? They have to embrace the worldly things because it's all they've got. When stock markets fail, they're the ones who commit suicide because they do not trust in a gracious Lord to guide them through. They do not trust it's going for their good. Look at the devout God-hating atheists who write their books and spew forth their garbage. They're miserable, brothers and sisters in Christ, in this aspect. They need there to not be a God. Because they cannot be accountable to him because they know what the wages are going to be. There's a difference there. David says, but the one who has confident expectation in the Lord's committed love, that committed love will surround him. Wow, a mouthful and a gracious gospel way to end our sermon. We translate that word confident expectation as hope, but the English word for hope leaves lots of room for disappointment. In fact, hope often means a flittering hope. I hope I win the lottery this week, although I've never once bought a lottery ticket. When you have confident expectation, it means I know God's promises and I expect them. And that's what Christian faith is. When you were baptized, God made a promise to you. He said, you are going to have to really fight. 
You are going to have to put up one hell of a fight for me to let you lose your salvation on the day I call you to eternal glory. Oh, people do it. But God makes a promise to you. He promises you heaven. He promises you your sins are forgiven. And so because of the faith he's given you, you have every confidence to expect it. I know this is going to happen. Those who come to expect the Lord's committed love, which is often translated in English as grace. God is committed to us even though we sin. So we confidently expect that committed love and that very grace surrounds us. God's grace is around you all the time. You can be confident. Yes, God did let David suffer consequences the rest of his life for these sins. Not punishments, consequences, so that David would not do it again. But David knew God was gracious. God was doing that so David wouldn't fall into the sin again, and he did not. When hard times come upon us, we know that God has a plan. We know that in his grace, he's working for the best, for our best, so that we are delivered safely to the day of heaven, which he has promised to us, which we confidently expect. And so, as we've seen in that, this last section, God has forgiven your sins, so you live your life in forgiveness by drawing to the word of the Lord and by hearing that pronouncement of forgiveness and having it applied. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, through King David, in this wonderful penitential psalm, we see that God has forgiven your sins. See the blessedness of your condition. You are in God's grace. Confess your sins and your burdens will disappear knowing God has forgiven you. And live your life in the forgiveness God has given you. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord and dance for joy, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Amen.